Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. All right. Thank you for listening to, uh, well, watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. Today, we're doing a live Google Hangout with the truth. Welcome, truth. What's up? Thank you. <laughs> so the truth said he's going to be moving around. So if you see his uh, background changing, know he's moving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome back to the G3 Project. It's good to be back. This time I got an album out. We can talk freely. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm excited. I've, I've been listening to the album. Uh, I, I watched your interviews with uh, Ravi which I was super jealous. I've been trying to reach Robbie for like years. <laughs> so, what the, uh, the, the saints say? Favor ain't fair? <laughs> no. <laughs> when I meet him, I'm probably going to act like people that saw Michael Jackson in the 80s. But, <laughs> That's um... how I felt. I was in there crying. <laughs> Start <trip>. crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Um, so your new album, it's complicated. Uh, I hope everybody's already went and got that. It's a great album, great body of work. What yeah. inspired yeah. you to do the album? I know you talked a little bit about it last time you were on, but um, for those who didn't hear your last conversation with you through, what kind of inspired you to put an album out? Yeah, um, it's, um, it's complicated. It's something that God kind of branded on me, branded on my heart about four years ago. Um, I had no idea that it was going to, evolve into what it is now um but i did know that um i wanted to deal with some complexities and some tensions um so i think that the main thing that inspired the record is the climate that we're in um mm -hmm. when i when i look at the climate what, one of the things that i've always done as as an artist is i've always looked at filling the gaps um, mm -hmm. it, it, and I, I haven't looked for it. It just happens. It's just kind of my wiring. Um, so when everybody was doing crucifixion songs in Christian hip hop, um, God gave me the resurrection song. Um, and that's when everybody was doing, I came from the streets, God delivered me. I did a song called My Story where I talked about how I grew up really the polar opposite. I grew up in a church with parents that are both evangelists and pastor. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I didn't come from that type of background. Um, so I found that my um, over the years, most of, a lot of my material has been stuff that um, is really just kind of filling, filling in the gaps, like what's not being said, um, but what conversation needs to be had. Um, and so I think that with this album, it, the same is true. It's, this is, um, really, the conversation I believe needs to be had needs to be had um, in the church and outside of the four walls of the church, um, and, and well, in the church, invisible, and in the four walls of the church, and outside of the four walls of the church, um, we have to be having this conversation about these very complex issues because I feel like we, to a large degree, have a natural tendency to oversimplify. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, it's easier that way. It's easier to either oversimplify or to um, 
to live in the extreme. Extremes are always easier. You look at church history, um, the pendulum is always swung from left to right, um, which in large, mm-hmm. is a large part of what I even talked about on the record in the song called Color Purple. We, we live in a very, especially in uh, Western culture, a very either or um, context or society um, or world, you know, who wore, if, if two women wear the same dress, you know, Star Magazine or USA Today will say who wore it best. As opposed mm-hmm. to them just both looking nice, <laughs> we want to know who <laughs> wore it best. And hip hop, and hip hop, we want to argue about top five. Um, you know, and 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 sports, we want to argue about LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and you know which one of them is the greatest. Even just that concept of you know that suffix est, that concept of the greatest, um, is something mm-hmm. that I think has. More to, you know, in our culture, we have to choose. You have to be, you know, Democrat or Republican. That's just the, the world in which we live. And so I feel like historically in church history, the pendulum is swung in a similar fashion, very right to left, left to right, as opposed to finding the middle and living in that tension because it's more difficult to live mm-hmm. in the tension. Just the last thing I'm going to say to that point, and then I'm, I'll let you talk. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> should, I, should I let you talk now? No, you're good. Okay. You're fine. Uh, but um, when, uh, you know, in, in church history, when you look at, like, uh, when they were trying to figure out how to steer clear of being stained by the world, you know, uh, what was happening, you know, people were going into monasteries, you know, and literally some people were building houses and trees. I guess that's where we get the idea of tree houses from. <laughs> but that was <laughs> the effort to steer clear of being stained by the world, but look at the extreme, you follow me? So it's very easy to be extreme. And so with this album, I wanted to deal with the tension of, um, of wrestling in the middle, having a resolve, but still wrestling in the middle and understanding everything is not so simple. And let's talk through the various complexities of life, faith and religion. Mm-hmm. That's very good because um, you hit on one of the points that I want to bring up your son, Color Purple. When I heard Color Purple, yeah. Uh, I tweeted you. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, that's kind of my story because yeah. I was raised in a non-denominational type, kind of leaning charismatic, uh, not too far out there. Uh, but I was always raised in a biblical balance to me. My dad is an expository preacher, but he is also what we would say. We have a charismatic belief. We believe, you know, that the gifts are still in effect to the, in this day. Um, But then I went and studied, I got engrossed in uh, Christian hip hop. um, And so I got engrossed in like Flames Rewind CD. And so I started studying um, and then I took religious studies at a secular university and that exposed me to a whole bunch of things. Um, And then I went to Liberty, which is conservative Baptist. Um, So I just have, I'm like a melting pot. You're a mutt like me. (laughs) Like me. So it's easy for me, I think, to live in that tension because I've always had to. Uh, but yeah. when, when people are kind of saved and they only know Reformed theology, they have yeah. caricatures of those who are maybe charismatic. They have caricatures or of Baptists because they've only known this one thing. And I think it's so important um, that your message that you share in The Color Purple be heard because so many people 
don't know how to interact with other Christians, let alone interact with people who aren't Christians. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So how did that song, how did, how has that journey been for the color purple? You know what? Um, I think I say it in the song hasn't been an easy journey um, Mm -hmm. because so much of our, so much of what I struggle with and coming to embrace the middle and as much as I can um, has been the struggle has been the result of a not fitting socially. See, because I think that mm-hmm. so so often we think issues are theological when they're really not. <laughs> they're really social. <laughs> and mm-hmm. a lot of what we hold on to, hold dearly to, um, mm-hmm. has has not as much has little to do with what God being pleased with you know God being pleased with how we're processing and how we're thinking and more to do with people being pleased with how we're processing and thinking <laughs> much like Peter mm-hmm. That's a, Peter's problem was mm-hmm. just that right he, he mm-hmm. didn't want to be seen hanging around Gentiles when clearly mm-hmm. God had shown him a vision from heaven (laughs) that now there would be an inclusion of those who were considered to be unclean. You feel me? Mm -hmm. God has shown Mm -hmm. him a vision from heaven of all the unclean animals. He said, what I call clean, you don't call unclean. Went through that whole thing. Then following that went to Cornelius's house. Cornelius and his family come to, you feel me? Like, Mm -hmm. had all these rich experiences where he was very clear on the fact that God had now included that which is which was at one point considered unclean yet in the moment in which the Bible says James and his guys started approaching uh, started approaching Peter when he was sitting at the table uh, with the Gentiles he got up and pretended like he wasn't with them (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I feel like (laughs) but they were brothers see that's what we got to catch you feel me Uh and so Mm-hmm. I feel like our issue is similar in that we struggle with pleasing our the people in, that we admire, number one, our favorite mm-hmm. teachers. You feel me? Like, because I dare not, I, I, I dare not contradict the Puritan writers and I dare not contradict the Acts 29 movement <laughs> and I dare not contradict, you feel me? And I dare not contradict, uh-huh. you know, the, 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 all of the artists that I look up to, you feel me? So I think that a lot of it has to do with our, our, our desire to fit and our desire for people to like us than it has to do with our theology or even God being pleased with how we see these men and women of God, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. and so the struggle was always difficult for me because it was a social issue. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. I don't want to be deemed as you know, off. I don't want to be seen mm-hmm. as heretical, you know, or mm-hmm. embracing people that are heretical. I don't want to be seen liking the people that nobody else does. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen sitting at the table with my Gentile brothers. <laughs> you feel me? Mm-hmm. Because the issue mm-hmm. is P- Peter knew all the challenges that Jewish people still had with Gentiles, which is why he didn't mm-hmm. want to stay at that table with them. And so I think mm-hmm. that all, that was my struggle, so that was a hard journey for me, but it was very real. I saw, I, I evolved over time. You know, I used to criticize every song I heard on the radio. Every 
black song, you know, whether it was <laughs> Pastor McClurkin or if it was uh, Israel Halton or if it was, you know, all the songs that were popular. If they were popular, they were wrong. <laughs> if they were on TBN, <laughs> it was off. You feel me? Before, you follow me? Uh-huh. You feel me? I, I, I remember when Stand came out, when Donnie McClurkin's song Stand came out. Um, and I remember listening to that song finding ways to pick it apart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> finding ways. Righteous man falls seven times. Yeah, but said that, I don't know. Just all kinds of stuff. Anytime they quoted the Old Testament, but that was for Israel. That's not for us. I was just I was just overly critical of everybody. You follow me? <laughs> of Indian everybody that didn't fit within the pale of teachers and writers that all the reformed, all my reformed friends had embraced. And so um, my evolution came, like I said, when I when I began to number one, um, spend time with these brothers and see, man, like these are really like godly men and godly women. You feel me? Like I, I'm not saying that they dot all their eyes across their teeth, but none of us do, and that's what I need us all to understand. The reformed guys ain't dotting all their eyes either. <laughs> <laughs> you're quote-unquote charismatic, theologically charismatic uh, uh, teachers are not dotting all their eyes, but the reformed guys are not dotting all their eyes either. We all getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Paul says, yo, I see through mm-hmm. a glass darkly. None of us are going, until the perfect comes, we're all going to see through a glass darkly. And so I think that as opposed to like having the, this, you know, so, so anyway, to finish my story. So, you know, as I start, when I started spending time with them, I started realizing these are men and women of God. And God didn't intend for all of us to have it right. What I found is that the more time we spent together, the more I gleaned from them, the more they gleaned from me. That's why I said mm-hmm. that, you know, some of them taught me how to think. Some of them taught me how to praise. You walk up in these reform churches and think God is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you feel me? Everybody's just so together. I'm like, come on. Like, come on. Let's get a little ugly with it. Throw a little... LeBron James final championship crop face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ugly face. Uh-huh. Let's run around the church a little bit. That's all right. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If they want to they want to cut the two step, dun, 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 let them go. They're celebrating God. Why not? You follow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we if they believe in the perpetuity of the gifts, none of us are solid on that. All those passages that we that many reformed uh our reformed brothers and sisters use in order to sl- to, to 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 um uh uh i don't want to say slam but just for lack of a better word to slam the idea that the that that, that the sign of revelatory gifts are still relevant in modern day none of us are 100 percent on that we still wrestle with what does it mean for the perfect to come which is clear to me but i'm just saying you feel me so my point is so my point is i got to a place where i realized wait there's so much value and them, and there's so much that I'm missing out on by trying to, by keeping them at bay, by overly criticizing them. I'm losing out on so much as a result. They taught me love, reform, yeah, reform, reform. My reformed world taught me how to think, taught me how to be critical, taught me how to be analytic, taught me hermeneutics, taught me there's a lot that you know how to properly understand the scriptures to read the verse in light of the chapter and read the chapter in light of the book and read the book in light of the bible as a whole all of that came as a result of being in that conservative world but when i but but being around the more charismatic you know i th- their love for each other is just different 
is there you, you feel me that their love for each other is just different shoot when <laughs> i've watched my uncle who was 50 pounds i watched him i literally watched god heal that man from cancer i watched him with my own eye he was 50 a grown man 50 pounds and i literally he was done doctors cut him it was a wrap i literally watched god restore that man he's been living now for 15 years wow, wow. so can't nobody tell me about the healing power of god so my point is i love all of it my whole point is why can't we all just get along i'm not saying we all <laughs> have to agree on every point you follow me i'm not saying we don't have fundamental differences but aren't we all brothers and sisters in christ in this and can't we try can't we grow draw closer to each other to try to work through it as opposed to criticizing each other from a distance so that's that's my passion that's my heart man and i know it got it's getting me in a little bit of trouble but i don't care like <laughs> i do what i believe i do what i believe honors god so that's it <laughs> And I love that line where you say you had to go apologize to uh, Eric and Tina because you went too hard on them. Because I've experienced that in my own life. I know when I went through this cage countenance phase, uh, when I got exposed to reform theology, I was going in on everybody. My friends telling them they were wrong, you know, shading people that I grew up with. Um, yeah. So I understand exactly. And I had to go and apologize because I was dead wrong because yeah. you know, I was arrogant. Because I thought I had this knowledge that you need to, I need to teach you something. Exactly. Um, but life has a way of humbling you. And um, <laughs> you have to go yeah. back and apologize real quick uh, for those things. So I appreciate Absolutely. that song because I, I understand it 100%. I understand it. And, and listen, that's not to say we shouldn't be Bereans. That's not to say that we should not go back to see if what they're saying is true. <laughs> that that does not none of none of that has I'm not getting rid of any of that and what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The tension is. Can we live in a space where we say, you know what? I went back to the scriptures and saw that when Creflo said that, it was untrue. <laughs> you follow me? While at the <laughs> same time, over the past this is the thing, over the past three years, I have been watching Creflo Dollar. I know that historically he's been known as a prosperity preacher. But I've been watching him very intently, very closely, not to like criticize him. I just started watching him because I saw that he was teaching on grace. This, I knew I saw he was doing a series on grace that lasted years. And um, and I started watching that and I was like, this dude is killing everything right now. <laughs> like, you feel me? Like killing everything. I mean, all he talked about was great grace the righteousness of God in Christ, justification by faith, the grace, you know, grace by faith, you know, not of work. Like he spent a whole few years just on that subject. And I'm like, all I could say is, what are we going to say about that? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> dogs are my area. That's why I'm <laughs> <laughs> I have to be, I got to be cautious. <laughs> uh, you got him? <laughs> um, yeah, it don't matter to me. She don't look like no baby. <laughs> so, uh, so, so all I'm saying is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with, you know, say, oh, yeah, but three years ago he was teaching this. No. Why can't we acknowledge what he's doing right and embrace that? You feel me? Throw whatever you think is wrong away and embrace what you know to be right. You feel me? What's the... 
that's how we grow by living <clears throat> in those tensions. All right, so I'm done. Yeah. And I think we have to acknowledge there's a little bit of one, one of my mentors said a little bit of heresy in everyone. Um, if we go back and look at uh, the uh, evangelicals or reformers that had slaves um, whose orthopraxy was all off, you know, that would be heretical in one sense. But we would still yeah. embrace the truths that they did, the truth that they did say and throw out. Uh, the things that that were wrong that they said. So, um, so I get I get your point totally. Um, yeah. Am I, I think, breaking up at all? You're breaking up a little bit. Uh, just a little, but I you're good now. Okay, you were breaking up too. So okay. Just letting you know. Okay. Um, for copycat religions, that's one of the things we've been dealing with here at the Jew Three Project. Um, how did you navigate through that? I know you talked to Dr. Zacharias about it, but can you share a little bit with us about how you navigated through that? I know that was a hard space for you um, in your undergrad time. Yeah, um, just researching, really. Um, just researching, digging. Um, that It was difficult for me at first. That was really not as difficult as when I first was exposed to it. Um, and Western civilization, because I wasn't exposed to um, the Horace and Osiris thing until later. Um, I, I was really, I struggled with um, the deluge stories, uh, and I had, you know, the stories of Noah's art, you know, uh, or that were stories that were similar to Noah's art um, before Noah's ark was documented. I struggled with Pandora's box story similar to the to that of Adam and Eve's before uh, Adam the story of Adam and Eve was documented um, I think that's when I was like okay I, we might be in trouble <laughs> that's when <laughs> that, that that's when I had my that, that those were the stories that impacted me the most in my Western civilization class and I think that that's what you're asking me how I worked through that <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Uh, well, the first thing I say is that um, I undergird every time I went through a very difficult because I went through four very um, there were four pivotal points in my life, all of which uh, were characterized by doubt um, or really wrestling with the the things that I had been holding that I held tightly fundamentally. Um, and so that that was one of the times and with and that particular time, I think that um, I, I think that I, I'm sorry. And every in each of those times, the thing that was consistent was prayer, um, even when I doubted the very existence of God, because I did that as well, even as the truth. So I was a couple albums in and went through a few weeks wrestling with the existence of God. Now, the Bible does say a man who doubts is like a shit that's tossed to and fro. So I don't carry that as a badge, but it is a reality for many of us that we go through those seasons of doubt um, and those crucibles of doubt. And so all of each one of those seasons, like I said, even when I doubted the existence of God was still undergirded by prayer as weird as that may be. Because how do you pray to God and you doubt his existence? <laughs> but <laughs> I was praying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, and so I always start there for anybody who's watching or listening I, I will always say to make sure that you're 
you're going through that time because you may not be able to read your Bible. I wasn't. You feel me? Because I didn't know what to believe at certain points. You feel me? Um, you may not be able to read your Bible, but you could. Um, God is um, a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Um, and so all, each of those seasons were all undergirded with prayer. So I'll start there. And then in that particular instance, um, uh, with the Western civilization class and the copycat religion stuff, uh, really was just a matter of doing the research um, to kind of, you know, see what was what was going on there. Why are these stories predating, you know, the historical biblical biblical historical accounts by hundreds of years, if not more? You feel <laughs> me? Um, and so for me, I started doing the research, and the one thing that made a lot of sense to me um, was the I, the fact that. Uh, the everything was transmitted orally, which is beautiful. You feel me? Like I understand. Mm-hmm. I had already known it. I just didn't, didn't put all the pieces together um, because it wasn't easy to write for one, um, and because just because people used so much more. Um, did I take you off? Oh, okay. Sorry. I lost your picture. The, your uh, video connection. I can't see you anymore. Hello? Uh, hold on. Back? Am I back? No. Uh, right. Yeah, you're back now. I'm back? Okay. Yeah. Um, so the way I worked through it was coming to an understanding that everything was orally transmitted at that time. And so... It really is not a matter of who wrote it first. <laughs> you know, you play the whisper game. Uh, the whisper game, you could stand 15 people in a row and we all just whisper this one thing to each other. One person whispers one thing. And by the time it gets to the 15th person, it can become another thing. It oftentimes does, right? <laughs> when stuff is just passed down. Um, and so what I found is that the issue was not that... Um, it wasn't, it wasn't who wrote it first that was the issue. It's who wrote it accurately. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you got to think, everybody's hearing these same stories. Everybody knows about the story of Noah's Ark before it's written um, <laughs> because everything was orally transmitted. Every kid is hearing the story. Every kid is hearing the story of Adam and Eve. Every kid is hearing the story of the Tower of Babel because mythology has their version of that. As, as well, they have every a version of all those narratives, but the question is really who wrote it accurately, not who wrote it first. Um, <laughs> and and so I, I came to a place. My resolve was that the guys that the that uh, the writers of the scriptures were the guys who wrote it accurately, um, and I think that's kind of where I landed, and uh, that's been <clears throat> real huge for me. Yeah, and I think that's. I think being honest with doubting is so important. And I remember my um, second my second year of seminary and really wrestling through some things as I was reading uh, the existence of God being one uh, because of the problem of evil. And I remember yeah. going to uh, my professor's office and I was like kind of distraught. And I was like, man, I don't know where I'm at, you know, with this stuff as I'm reading through the classes. And I'm in seminary and I'm leading the ministry. Um, and, yep. um, he looked at me and this is my New Testament professor, Dr. Purser. I'll never forget it. He said, sometimes I wrestle too. It's okay. 
Oh, and that was the most freeing thing for me because here he is, he's devoted his whole life to studying the New Testament. And he can say, sometimes I struggle with it too. And for me, that gave me the hope I needed to keep going. Yeah. Just to know somebody else wrestling That's it. these things too. And I think what you're doing through your music is giving people hope because sometimes if you're wrestling in the dark, you feel like, oh, I'm stupid for thinking this. Nobody thinks this. And then when somebody else says it, it's like, oh, you you think that way too? And then we all like, yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. you get comfort and then you're able to come out of it because you have that, you know somebody else struggle with it. So that kind of gives you hope. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's when, part, when you when we talk about the inspiration for the album, that's really what I, the inspiration was is, is to, number one, bring people along with me on my journey as part of what the, the benefit of being an artist provides us, mm-hmm. of bringing people along, um, just walking them where people kind of feel like they are part of your life, part of your world. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, as an artist, the benefit, one of the benefits that we have is we get to articulate what people are thinking but won't say out loud mm-hmm. um, or don't know to say. You know, sometimes you be like, you hear a song, you be like, that's exactly what I feel. But that's exactly how I felt. I just didn't know how to put it in words. Um, and so mm-hmm. the, the, ben- the beauty of being an artist is we get to articulate just the twist, all the twists and turns of people's souls um, mm-hmm. and what's going on in people's hearts. And then the third reason why I wanted to do this album was to create um, a, a safe for the church to begin to think about how we can create a safe place for people, for Christians, pastors, leaders even, to be honest about their, their issues with doubt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't know if the church is a safe place for that conversation. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. Um, you know, I would I would venture to say that um, it's more not than it is. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I think we can do a better job, especially with our youth groups um, and cultivating environments where they don't just feel safe to come in and talk about, you know, their broken families. You know, <laughs> I think we spend so much time um, pandering, sometimes pandering. I know that can sound negative, but sometimes pandering. Or, or given attention to, that's not negative, um, the kind of emotional uh, condition and state of young people that we never get to this stuff. We never get to these hard questions, you know? Um, and by the time they get to college and now they're introduced by professors such and such that they look up to, you know, to all of these alternative perspectives, these anti-Christian um, ideas, you know, evolution, and, and they do a great job because they spent their lives <laughs> researching, uh, you, you know, literature of all sorts. And they've been for many years thinking through how to uproot and undermine all things um, Christian. Um, and so with, you know, coming from a youth group where you haven't dealt with these issues at all, going into an environment that is hostile towards you and not just a professor, but even your peers in a very post-Christian world are challenging you on stuff that you always held tightly to, but you never walk through or work through how to uh, be thoroughly equipped enough to uh, contend for your faith in, in these areas, you know, before you know it, you're def- you've defected <laughs> um, or uh-huh. you're, you're weak and you're broken. You don't know what to believe and you go through all that happens when you do know. So how much more, <laughs> If you don't have, oh, no. your faith hasn't been informed mm-hmm. um, in these areas. And so 
I forgot how I got into all of that. Oh, I, you're just going back to your point that I think that I, I wanted to open up the conversation, um, you know, for and even for leaders, because why is it that leaders defect from the faith? And I'm not saying that this is the only reason why. Um, sometimes it's moral issues, you know, um, but but I'm just saying that um, I do find that this is becoming increasingly more of an issue. Um, as you look at some of the leaders, people that we all look up to, defecting from the faith, not believing anymore, or completely doing a 180, doing a Rob Bell, just completely, you know, tw you know, shifting uh, their theological per perspectives and um, and moving towards heresy. So um, I think that if we have the conversation more and create healthy environments for healthy dialogue, I think we'll be much better off and even provide answers to some of these tw tough questions and musings, um, I think we'll be uh, um, better off, and especially in this uh, millennial world and post-Christian world. Yeah, I agree, because I, I spent, um, during my time in Lynchburg, while I was at um, Liberty, I used to spend my weekends in D.C., and I would always go to brunch with my friends, and they would invite friends that were unchurched or used to go to church and don't have any dealings with the church. And one of the things I'm I'm noticing with young professionals, especially in the city, is that they want critical thinking from church. They want to yep. they want to have that conversation, and yep. they feel like, like, well, I'm educated, I have a good job, I want to go to church, and I don't want to leave my my brain at the door. I want to <laughs> I want to think through what you're saying, and yeah. sometimes you know when people come to church, the messages don't. In some in some in some areas you go to, they won't make logical sense, you know. And so yeah. we have some and people feel like, well, that was a waste of my time because that doesn't make sense. And yeah. um, so then you have. Uh, let me give you. Let me give you an example. I was at a mega church, eight thousand seater. Mm -hmm. um, I won't say where because I think it's like the only one in that particular state um, <laughs> or city. But I was at that church and I was doing my sound check and the the guy who was doing the my monitors came over to me uh, and I had the reason for God by Tim Keller sitting on uh, the drum riser. And uh, we, we, you know, he asked me about the book. We began to talk about it. And when um, uh, he was like, man, I, I would love to read something like that, you know? Um, and he said, um, I just had to be honest with you. I love my pastor. He's amazing. He said, every week that I leave this church, I feel inspired. He said, but I'm intellectually starved. Mm. And I think that he um, is kind of a microscopic example of what many millennials, critical thinkers, um, are 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 having an is having issue with. That church, especially black church, is very inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's just not intellectually stimulating. Um, mm -hmm. And the Bible says, "Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength." And so it's important that we. Um, be very intentional about yeah. again living in the tension of doing both and um, yeah so yeah I think that's that's phenomenal because uh, we're living in a culture that it's it's funny because we like to think critically uh, but then we don't critically think through some of the things that we uh, consume every day um, the yeah we listen to we have this whole idea of my truth and tolerance which uh, is problematic. Uh, yeah. I think you did with that little bit in your album because I think this whole idea of uh, people being against absolute truth is pervasive in yeah. our culture. 
this whole concept yeah. of my truth. I was just listening to um, Beyonce's new CD um, and in on the song Sorry, in chapter in verse in the second verse, she says, you know, she's talking about the lies that I guess Jay Z or whoever she's talking about. Uh, and then she says, I, in the third verse, I pray you reveal what his truth is. And I'm thinking, mm. if if there's a, his truth, then there can't be an absolute lie. Because right. <laughs> my truth and absolute lies can't co- coexist mm. in the same space. That's but we'll right. take that and we'll say, well, you know, we'll be quick to say, oh, that's a lie. But you could say, if you've taken on this idea of my truth, well, couldn't that just be their truth? You know, they right. can't, the world can't exist like that yeah. for very long. Um, and I think uh, Dr. Zachariah said that in, in your talk with him, if everybody kind of just does what they want to do and, you know, live by their own rules, society can't function. And I don't think we critically think through that, but then we call ourselves critical thinkers. Yeah. Um, and so it's so funny because that, that verse in Romans has been coming up in my mind, proclaiming to be wise, mm. they proclaim fools. Wow. Um, and I think that's something that our culture um, is is kind of the trajectory we're headed towards. No, you're spot on. You're spot on. And that is exactly where we are. But like you said, nobody can live that way. <laughs> nobody can live that way. We can because, you know, I was, I was just reading the other day. Um, er, er, you know, do you know Amy? She's amazing. She's from Europe. Um, With Arzianya? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. And she was just talking about how um, you can't, you know, for anybody who believes that all all things are just a matter of interpretation or our truth, our individual truth. Mm-hmm. She said it, it begs another question, which is a question of ultimate meaning and language and words. Mm-hmm. So the question really becomes, you know, is there do words have ultimate meaning? Because if. If all, if all things are just a matter of interpretation or, you know, ba- based on uh, a subjective, based on cultural, sociocultural context or whatever, then now we have a bigger question, which is that, you know, or basically that a bigger conclusion, which is that words have no inherent meaning. You know, they, they just, whatever they mean to you is what they mean. Um, and, um, and, the, and then if you take basically the, the next step, which is, man, if if if, it, if it's all a matter of if there is no ultimate meaning, which is essentially what you're saying, should I just take what you're saying to mean that there is ultimate meaning? <laughs> because because if words have no meaning and you just said there's no ultimate meaning in words, I guess I could just take that to mean words have ultimate meaning <laughs> because it's all a matter of how I interpret it. Uh-huh. what it actually is um and like you said nobody can live in that world i mean on any level on any <laughs> level you feel me like we can't you know when you get on an airplane it'll tell you don't tamper with the smoke you know <laughs> you know no smoking i was thinking about that the other day when i was on a plane there's no smoking smoking prohibited so is that just <laughs> now everybody knows what that sign means the cigarette with the smoke <laughs> the little swiggle of smoke the circle and the the line through it <laughs> Right. If it's all a matter of interpretation, why not just light up on the plane? <laughs> you follow me? What Ravi says all oftentimes is he says, man, rules seem to die the death of a million qualifications. Um, and that's the world that you end up living in when you 
don't claim to hold on to anything absolute or ultimate or inherent. So you're spot on. But I think that, like you said, nobody can survive. That nobody can survive with that mindset. Um, and most of the every, anybody who has that perspective refuses to, whether they know that they're doing it or not, submit to that line of thinking. They won't submit themselves to that thinking. So I'm <laughs> sorry, my battery's about to die. That's why I was going out. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I know we're almost out of time. What would you like yeah. to leave with our listeners, our well, watchers today? Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's, it's really not just about filling your head with information. Um, you know, the purpose of informing your faith um, is so that, number one, you can, before you can even get to, before you get to defending or contending for the faith, uh, it is first intended to, um, um, it is first intended to um, help you, help you to, to have a more intimate relationship with God. Uh, or a a deeper connection um, with God. A deeper understanding leads to a deeper uh, connection with God, which ultimately the vine is in the branches and the branches are in the vine and I am in him and he is in me and you are in him and he is in you and you just want to continue to cultivate that relationship. And so the the as we uh, do, you know study uh, to show ourselves approved and we do the research, uh, um, you know, part, part of why, uh, my sister and I, you know, when we, you know, first, like, you know, felt like we had answers and responses for all of our charismatic friends. A lot of that was just because we are, we were just zealous with our head, with our information. We had a lot of information um, and we were zealous in light of the information. Um, but uh, it has to be uh, the, have to, there has to be um, a, a, an integration of both uh, inter information and intimacy and really information that lends itself to intimacy. Um, and so I, that's what I want to leave you with. Um, uh, please allow the information, all the books that you read uh, from all the great men who have written both on the conservative side and on the charismatic side, um, allow for that to sink in and allow for your roots to be established and run deep in the faith so that or to the end that your relationship with God is richer and deeper. Um, and then out of, out of that will come, um, you know, a richness and dialogue. And so that's what I would want to leave with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Drew. Make sure you go get his new album. Um, it's complicated. So on uh, iTunes, Google play and I, wherever music, music is old, correct? You got it. <laughs> well, sure thank you, you so much. Drew. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us 
Thank you so much. Remember at the Jew 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.